Hi, I'm Walter Hallam, and you're listening today to the Walter Hallam Ministries Podcast. Get ready to receive a powerful word from God today. In John chapter 5, let me read just for a moment. Now, after this time, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Everybody say Bethesda. These are very interesting words. I'm going to do a little teaching for you today because I want to talk to you about God positioning a man and a man positioning himself with God to receive and acting on what God told him to do. Uh, There's uh, some very interesting scriptures, of course, that we can read Uh, there in verse two, for instance, in verse one, the Bible says uh, there was a pool. It's called the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Once again, a, a very interesting word right there. Uh, they may put it up on the screen for me up here. I'm not sure. Let's see if they can pop it up there. Uh, the word pool in the Greek is the word a columbethra. And we actually get the word like a colonnade from it, uh, or some type of a very ornate uh, place. This particular place, twice you see this particular word used. It's here and also at the pool of Siloam. In the scripture, you'll see it. I'm just going to teach just for a moment so you can get a hold of this, and then maybe we'll preach right before it's over with, and let's see what God says to us today. It's important to hear this. So there was this pool, and where Jesus had gone to, where this pool was, the Bible says it had five porches, which are all, uh, all of those are very interesting words. The word porches uh, is the word stoa, S-T-O-A, which actually means like an interior piazza of some kind. It would have been very ornate. It would have had, you know, the whole fresco on it, the paintings. It was a very uh, rich place. And it was not built for poor people. It's important to hear this. It was not built for sick people. It was actually built right behind the temple. Get a hold of this. And it had changed in time. It was built right behind the temple. And uh, it was very ornate. It had these five areas that you could go to. There would have been a lot of steps to it there. Uh, Also, it was a place where oftentimes the the wealthy, the priests would go, uh, people that were uh, in a very uh, elevated role in life uh, would go there. Once again, it was kind of enclosed. Uh, And so it's a little different than Siloam, but anyway, it was called Bethesda. The word Bethesda just means uh, the house of grace or the house of mercy, the house of goodness. Uh, And that's what the, the name of it was. Uh, especially in the original language. And we have it, of course, in English right now. And so this place was uh, built kind of in the backside of where the temple would have been. And it was very, very, uh, very high class. Is that all right if I say that? Uh, but over the course of time, the, the use of it had begun to change, history says. And now Jesus goes there. And when he goes there, the whole place is just full of sick, hurting, and crippled people. That's a very interesting statement. Uh, How many of you think the house of God ought to be a hospital for the world? Give me a better amen than that. 
Listen, we are a place where people come to get saved, to get delivered, get their life uh, serving God, get on the way to heaven, find their ministries, heal their uh, uh, families, as well as uh, experience oftentimes the healing and delivering power of God over sickness, over poverty, over addictions. I'm preaching better than you're amen in. Thank God we are one. Uh, we are a place where the world continues to get worse and worse in its cultural evolution, uh, in its social evolution. It gets worse and worse and worse, and sin begins to overcome it. The scripture is real plain about that. The Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew said that one day the Lord is going to come back. And when he comes back, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. When you begin to study about the days of Noah, Jesus said that in Matthew, when you study in Genesis about the days of Noah, the Bible says they were giving in marriage, uh, that the earth had become wicked, that there was so much wickedness that everything that God called pure was being perverted in the earth. And it got into a place where the only people that were trying to follow the Lord was Noah and his family. He was an upright man, and that's why the flood came. And the scripture says that the Lord will come back one day. Noah, of course, was a type of the New Testament church. He's in the book of Genesis. It's the type of those that are born again, that have given their life to Jesus, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are making a decision they're going to endeavor to serve God. If they miss it, they're going to get right in Jesus' name. Come on, give me two big amens right there. And so Jesus comes into an area like that and he begins to uh, preach because of the, uh, the change in society. It was getting worse and worse at this particular time. Uh, Israel was under domination. It had been overrun, of course, by Rome, and it was still uh, in a servitude area like that. They were uh, in an occupied region uh, by Rome, and, and here they were not even really looking for the Messiah. There were very few of them. They had kind of formalized the, the reality of heaven and of the kingdom of God into a denominal or into just a religious concept with this is what we believe and that's all we believe and that's it right there. There's nothing outside of that. And if you get outside of that, you're wrong. Well, uh, oftentimes churches today make fun of the way that the uh, religion in the Bible turned into a legalistic format. The problem is it's that way oftentimes in churches all around us today because they say, well, this is what our denomination believes and here it is. And so they'll give their 12 points and anything outside of that, they'll say, I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. That's not what we believe. And they, they literally have changed that into legalism. Legalism is not just a form of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of this is all there is and I've got it and I've uh, got the ultimate, got the, the, the totality of revelation and all of those things about God out of the Bible, bam, and here it is in our handbook. Can I just tell you that you will never exhaust one principle of the kingdom of God? You will be learning and growing all the days of your life. And there's no way that you and I will ever capsulize everything until we get to heaven. Come on, look at two people and say, let's learn a little today. Come on, tell them that. It's very important to understand that. And so the scripture says that Jesus uh, comes to this particular uh, place where there are sick and infirm people. Uh, it's called, once again, the house of kindness, the house of mercy, house of grace. You can use any of those words for the word Bethesda, which is a beautiful word. And the scripture says, um, verse 3, And in these lay, in these five porches, lay a great multitude of impotent, 
folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. I believe the reason that Jesus was willing to go to this particular place, this pool, uh, is because of the people that were there. Here it is kind of behind the church. But now listen, it was actually the purpose of the church. It should have been there uh, in a much more accessible area. But uh, it had kind of relegated itself that way. And because, ooh, I'm going to probably get in trouble when I say this, but it don't make any difference because, hallelujah, I was here first. All right, here it is. Probably because sick people begin to come because of a story they heard about this particular pool. And, and crippled people begin to come and they would bring them there. And it had been there for a long time. They heard that that pool, that periodically in what, what the Bible uses the word kairos in a special season, a special time, a kairos moment, that an angel would come and stir that around and stir the water. And it doesn't just mean to stir it in a real little mild shaking thing like that. Uh, the word is a beautiful Greek word, but it just means to have a major stirring going on. It's like that water would begin to swirl like this and swirl and swirl and swirl like that. And whoever got in the water when it was swirling like that first received a miracle from God. And that's what they believed. And probably it had happened many times because there were a lot of people there and they were taught that it happened every year. One time a year that would take place. It would begin to uh, stir and stir and stir and stir. And whoever could get in the water first, when that water started moving, you got to understand there was no wind blowing in there because it was enclosed where this pool is. And so now all of the, uh, apparently... All the rich folk, they've already moved out. Somebody shout, thank God I'm rich. And I moved in. But here they kind of moved out. And now the scripture says it was full of sick people, hurting people. And the Bible uses some real unique terms about them. It says that they lay there, the word uh, lay. I, I, want you to get the, I, I want you to get the whole concept for just a moment right here while I teach. Uh, this uh, Greek word is a very powerful word, katakema. And it just literally means to, to lay like, almost like they're laying on top of one another. They're just kind of stacked in there. You got, you got to be walking over people to get around. They're on cots and they're sick and they're, they're, they're crippled and they're, they're hurting and they're crowded in, in those areas like that. They're in a very, very unique situation there that used to be an area where uh, people just kind of came and bathed in this real pool, uh, beautiful pool. It was all pretty. It was all very nice. But now all the sick folk moved in. And then all of a sudden the well folk decided to move out. Lord, should I say all of that? Listen, don't you ever get so up and up that you can't go to church with somebody who doesn't live on the same street you live on. Because you really want an appointment with the pastor, you'll get one that day. The day I find that out. How many of you are glad that you and I were all lost and on the way to hell till Jesus came into our life? Glory to God. It's the sick that need a physician, the Bible says. And every single one of us at one point in life were spiritually sick. You may be physically well and the person next to you may not look exactly like you, but don't you get so up and up. Look, God didn't bless you so he couldn't use you. He blessed you so you could be a walking visual aid of his goodness. 
The Bible says we are kings and priests under our God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> he calls us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that we should show forth his praises. The word praises is a great word there. <clears> There's <throat> the apostle Peter writing about it. He said, we show forth his praises. One translation uh, in the Greek, it says the, the most excellent virtues and qualities. We are a chosen generation to show forth the most excellent qualities and virtues of the one who called us out of darkness and put us in a marvelous light. Oh, hallelujah. What do you think the most excellent virtue and quality of Jesus is? What's the most excellent quality and virtue of the Holy Spirit of God? That's why you got saved. That's why God calls you and me kings and priests. Not so we'll try to be like the world, act like the world, think like the world, just be like the world and all of that kind of stuff. No, we were done. We, we were saved and changed so we would be like Jesus. That we would have his most excellent virtues and qualities. Jesus is like, let the little children come unto me. Leave that lady alone. Let her come over here. I know she's uh, sick. I know she's uh, got an issue of blood. Uh, uh, Peter, leave them alone. Let them come on. They need to get healed just like everybody else. Now, look, the good thing about it is when God touches your life, you're not going to stay in the same situation you were. And I tell you, when God touches your life, you're not going to be the same person you were. You're going to change. It is impossible to become a new creation in Christ and not change. There's going to be some changing going on. Come on, look at somebody and say, can I borrow some change? Come on, tell them that. Just say something. No, it's important to let that happen. And the scripture says... <coughs> In verse 3, that there were a lot of people there. They're just everywhere. Jesus having to step around them, step over them. And in these lay, stacked in there, a great multitude of impotent people, uh, impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. I'm not belaboring a point. I, I'm, I'm doing exactly what Jesus did right here. I'm reading it from the scripture. Now, let me give it to you from the original language, the way it's in there. The word multitude is the word plethos, P-L-E-T-H-O-S. We get the word plethora from it, which means a whole lot of diversity. And a, a large group, it's a tense of the word plethora. It's an interesting word. Uh, and uh, the Bible says this big multitude is laying there. A large company means there's a lot of them. The word uh, impotent, is an interesting word. I love Greek. How many of you enjoy the Greek? Asthenios, A-S-C-T-H-E-N-O-S. Asthenios. And asthenios means sick or diseased or weak or hurting some way or another. And it says that's what's laying all around this pool that used to be a place for the high rollers. And now uh, people that are hurting won't in. I know somebody's going to get mad when I say this, but uh, you, got, you got the same Holy Ghost to get glad in that got me glad. There's people all over this world that are hurting today. And they want to come to our country. Now, I, I, I trust in Jesus' name that immigration will get it all fixed out where they can do that legally. Somebody shout hallelujah. So I'm not politic, I'm talking right now. But I fully understand sick people want to get where the well people are. I fully understand poor folk want to get where the rich folk are. I fully understand because if I was down there, I know me. One way or the other, I'd be here. Raising three little daughters, you, you think I wouldn't? I'd do my best if I was there. But if the doors are all shut, I'd find a way to get here. Now, I hope I do it legally, but, uh, but I'm not going to swear to that. 
Well, the body of Christ, the church, come on, shout the church. We're a place that throws the doors open uh, for the sick, the hurting, the diseased, the divorced, uh, the the uh, ex-criminal, ex-person that's been in prison, all of those kinds of things. I don't want no show of hands, but if you've been... (laughs) If you were in prison at one time, I'm glad you're in abundant life today. I'm just talking about my staff right now. I'm so glad you're here. But you don't come to a church. No one comes to a church like this because they want to stay the same. They come here because they're believing God. Their life will change. And they'll find that plan and that purpose that God has. And and the things that are holding them back in life can get broken off of their life. And they can live for Jesus. We didn't, we didn't build this and pay millions and millions of dollars for it. We didn't build this just for, uh, just for rich white folk. Look, I can't help it if I'm rich. Thank God for that. Come on, say, I can't help it if I'm rich. But I don't care who comes to this church. Oh, you want to get this pastor upset? And believe me, I had to deal with that recently. You want to get this pastor upset? You just let me find out that the church isn't black enough. Or the church ain't white enough. Or the church ain't Mexican enough. Because you're going to find out that I'm not near as saved as you think I am. Because we're not putting up with that stuff in abundant life. Look, I can recommend a million churches to you. I can recommend a hundred thousand of them to you. That don't even care about that. The preacher ain't got enough gumption to even mention it. But it's not that way in abundant life. And it won't be that way as long as I'm pastor and I'm only pastor for life. After that, y'all can be as ugly as you want to. But that's the way it is. No, you can't and you're not going to either. In Jesus' name. Come on, give somebody a high five and tell them you love them today. Come on. Let somebody know you love them today. Oh, hallelujah. Now y'all got me on a subject you shouldn't have got me on. See there, it's all your fault. There were a bunch of, of impotent people, the Bible says, uh, who, were, who were sick and they were, they were halt. That's an interesting word. It's the word C-H-O-L-O-S. It means to limp and to be crippled and to limp like that. Uh, it says uh, they, they were lame and they were withered. That, that's an interesting word. Uh, I love to do word studies because it just gives you a lot of illumination, uh, especially the original word. The word right there is the word zeros, spelled X-E-R-O-S. We'd pronounce it zero. That's where we get our English word zero from. And it just means uh, considered to be the least value of society. Withered. It could also mean dried up. It could mean somebody who was shrunken or shriveled up because of their circumstance. But uh, the term that's used in the Greek is the word zeros. Come on, look at somebody and say, I'm not a zero. Come on, tell them. About it. Just thought I'd say that. Uh, because there's no one that is. Look, if you're made in the likeness of the image of God, I don't know what your situation and circumstance is, but it's not about that outside. It's about the fact that you have a spirit on the inside of you that was made in the image and the likeness of God, and God loves that person, and he has put his love in you. Therefore, you are commanded to let the love of God come through you and to help someone else. You say, I came to church one time, preacher, and people didn't smell right. Well, buy them some right guard for Christmas in a gift package. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. 
I think I'm going to clear it all up today. <laughs> and the Bible says they lay there and they were waiting for the moving of the water. The word waiting is an interesting word. Now, here we are. I'll, I'm just about done with this, but I want you to get this. It says they were waiting for the moving of the water. Ecto, uh, ecto omea uh, is an interesting word, and it just means to look with an, an expectation of some kind. Uh, not exception, it's expectation. To look with an expectation. They're, they're yearning, they're longing. They're there because they believe something could happen. There was a man who was there, the Bible says, for 38 years. He'd been laying there. He had, someone had brought him and laid him there on a cot for 38 years because they didn't know exactly when that moving of that water was going to take place. And every year, someone would get a miracle. And so they had this expectation that maybe I could be the one that would, would get in there first. And Jesus... Go straight to this person. I think this is very powerful. It says they're laying there and they're waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season. The word season is the Greek word kairos. Uh, those of you that have been in this church and, and have ever studied very much, you understand there's a lot of words for time, several words for time in the Bible. But one of them is the word kairos. And uh, Jesus, for instance, used that term when Jesus uh, looked out over Jerusalem and he wept because they did not understand the time or the season of their visitation. And the word is kairos. It means a special moment, a, a planned time by God, a kairos moment. Listen, we get together on the Lord's day in the house of God. I believe God has made Sunday a kairos moment. It's a kairos time where we gather together and we begin to magnify the Lord. And it's not only do you pray six days a week and you seek the Lord and you're doers of the word of God and all of those beautiful things, but also when we gather together, we should expect to receive from God. It's a Kairos moment. And the Bible says Jesus goes there and the people are, are everywhere because it's said that at a certain season, an angel would come. I'm in verse 4. An angel would come and would stir or trouble the water. Everybody shout trouble. The word trouble is the word T-A-R-A-S-S-O, T-R-A-S-O. And it just literally means to stir it, but it means to stir it in a direction. Woo, this is going to have to get in somebody's spirit. It doesn't mean to just sit there and slap the water back and forth like that, like I'm going to blow my wings on it like this and just make it kind of bubble and all. No, it means to stir it in a direction. Our God is a God of direction. Come on, give me a big hallelujah in here. Our God is the God of direction. The idea that he saves you and just turns you loose is nowhere in the Bible. He will always be telling you what to do and if somebody or what not to do and by the witness of his spirit as well as the word of God, he is a God of direction. Cindy and I raised three daughters and listen, we gave them instruction. We gave them direction all of their life and I'm thrilled as a father to still be able to speak into my son-in-law's and my daughter's lives a little bit. Now they, they're, they're grown people. They do what they want to do but I can help give them a little direction still because I've been there before. Amen. Are you listening to me? How many of you are glad that Jesus was? He is and he is to come. Listen to me. He's been there before and he gives direction. He is not the author of confusion. He's the author of instruction. Uh, he always has been and he always will be. 
And the angel would come, the Bible says, and begin to stir that water in a certain way. I do not believe those things are in the Bible for no reason, like God's wasting time and wasting ink by writing that. I believe he's talking to us that God is a God of system. He's a God of order. He's a God of direction. He's not changing his mind back and forth every day. Like God told me to do this, and then the next day, well, God told me to do something else, and the next day God told me to do something else that's contrary to everything else. God called me here 35 years ago. There's a lot of other pretty places, I guess, on the planet. Very few of them are as pretty as Lamarck, Texas. But I mean, uh, there are a lot of beautiful places in the world, but when God calls you somewhere, you ought to walk it out in the name of Jesus. He's the God of direction. He's the God of consistency. He's the God, listen, he's a God that formulates things. I hear so many people talk about I have a dream and I have a vision and all of that. But listen, if you do not have a plan of some kind for your vision, if you do not have some direction, then that's not a vision. That is a fantasy. That's all it is. Because a vision motivates you to do, not to talk. We are doers of the word of God. You ever been around people and every time you're around them, they got this great ministry or they got this great thing they're going to do and they've been talking about it for the last 50 years and you're like, okay, now how many years were you in prison the last 45 years? Is that the reason you didn't do it? Now, why is the reason you didn't do it? Because you had a job? But yet you got this great vision that motivates you? Man, you're full of hot air. You get around somebody with vision and they are doers. Come on, look at somebody and say, I see a vision in you. Come on, tell them that. I see it in you. You've got that anointing, that drive on the inside of you, and that never leaves you. Look, you don't get too old to not have dreams and visions. No, you got a dream from God. You got a vision. Look, when Cindy and I were growing up, we, we, had, a, we had a vision for our family, for our daughters. Now we have a vision for our grandchildren. And, and we're moving toward that a little bit to try to help it. Now, I know God's all up in that. And so God's going to do things with it. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. The scripture says that you lay up, a wise man lays up in store for his children's children. For his children's children. So your children's children, of course, would be your Your grandchildren. So we, we start a little system. We start a little savings accounts. We start little things just for them, just laying up in store. It's not a lot of money, but that's not the issue. I found out that if you'll just be consistent with it, a little become a lot. Just give it a little time. It'll become a lot. Hallelujah. God is the God of order. He's the God who's stirring the water, but he's not stirring it like, well, today we're a part of abundant life, but, but there's the, a new whatever starting up over there, so we're just going to jump over there. Now we're going to jump back. Or we came out of something, now we've been born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, but now we think God's telling us to go back to churches that don't believe in that or they don't practice that. That is not the angelic anointing of God. They're saying, I don't care how many times they say it, God is not in the business of declassifying you. He is in the business of empowering you with his spirit, his word, his anointing, gifts of the Holy Ghost, revelation knowledge. God knows we're not the only one. There's 7,000, the Bible says, uh, uh, parenthetically speaking, who have never bowed a knee. Thank God there are millions that love Jesus. But we're never 
called to connect ourselves to something that denies the things of God, denies the power of God. Well, you know, when I was really struggling, we really needed to be there. But now, you know, we we got some good things going. So now we just kind of go wherever. Let me tell you, look me in the face. That will show up in your children and your grandchildren. Yeah, you might survive it yourself, Hot Rod, but that'll show up in your children and your grandchildren. And you'll wish one day you had not denied the things of God. For the sake of, of convenience, luxury, or acceptance in a world that you're supposed to be changing instead of letting it change you back. Come on, everybody, everybody just stick your hand out like this right now and just stir it one direction. Yeah, when God gets you going that direction, that's your direction. It's a faith direction. It's a kingdom direction. It's a godly direction. Look, I've been here 35 years. I got a right to tell you the truth. It's important to serve God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Do your very best. I know you're better off today than where you were yesterday, and I thank God for that. But look, there are other people that want to get as good off as you are that were starting where you used to be, and now look where God has brought you. You are not to void that today. You are supposed to enlarge that capacity. Oh, God, let your, let your circling angel be in my family. Let it be on my job. Let it be in my church. Come on, help me up here. I'm about done. Hallelujah. For it was said in verse 4 that an angel would come and would trouble the water. Verse 5 and 6, I'm almost done. Listen to this. It's important to get it in your spirit. All this is in this one particular miracle. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him, he saw him lying there, and he knew that he had been now there a long time in that case. He said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Oh my goodness. Jesus saw him lying there. He saw him lying there. And he saith unto him. Interesting words there. The word saith is an interesting word. You'll like this word. You'll probably never forget it. It's the word Legos. Just like Legos, like toys. One of the top sellers at Christmas every year. Legos. And the scripture says Jesus, Lego to him. And the word Lego means a sudden outburst, an expression, just suddenly to say it. And so Jesus is walking, he's stepping over people, he's doing all of this, he's getting around, he's just looking, he's probably looking for all the rich folk, he don't see none of them. He always says, sick people everywhere, my God, everybody's sick in this place, the whole place sick, oh my Lord, oh my goodness, a man, he's been there for 38 years, and he suddenly just said to the man, will you be made whole? It just like, it just jumped out of him. Will you be made whole? 38 years. And the scripture says, verse 6, we're talking about instruction for receiving a miracle. Will you be made whole? And the impotent man said, answered and said, Sir, whoo, 
my goodness, if you forget everything preacher going to say this morning, remember what I'm about to say right now. Everybody shout, sir. sir. Shout it out loud. Sir. He said, sir. It's a very unique usage of that particular word. The word sir is the word K-U-R-I-O-S, curios, not Cheerios, curios. And it's, it's an interesting word. It means master, controller of everything, Lord. It could be God. It's a huge word. It's not just like rabbi, like rabboni, teacher, all of that. No, this guy took it to a whole new level. 38 years he's been laying there. Jesus walks up uh, to this man and, and just suddenly out of Jesus comes, will you be made whole? And he says, God, master, curios, Lord, controller of everything. I don't know how that guy thought that. I have no idea why he said it. All I know is you get in the presence of the Lord. You get in a church where the anointing's there. You get in around with the word of God and the spirit of God and something out of you needs to say, uh, I call you the Christ. I call you the son of the living God. You might not have known any of that when you walked in, but you'll have a revelation when you get in his presence. He said, sir, curious, sir, master, Lord. Redeemer, controller of everything, sir. I have no man. When the water is moving in that direction, there's that word again, troubled, to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steps in front of him. Look at what he says right here. The impotent man answered Jesus. The word answered, uh, another one of those interesting words. And it just literally means this guy starts talking and he's rattling and he's rattling and he's rattling. He's in the presence of Jesus. I mean, his heart must have been beaten. I don't know what must have been happening uh, inside of him. He just starts talking. Maybe he's got 38 years of pent-up frustration. But that word literally means to just rattle on. He just, have you ever talked to someone before? Come on. You ever talked to someone and you say, hey, how are you doing? And you wish you had not? Hey, how are you doing? Well, it all started when I was young, when I was a little child, 38 years ago. And then year after year, I mean, you're like, oh my goodness, your eyes are glazing over. And finally, you just want to say, please shut up. That's exactly what that word means. He's in the presence of Jesus and man, something just lit off on the inside of him and he starts telling all the reasons about everything. So God only knows everything that he said when he's talking to Jesus. And the scripture says, he said, another steps in front of me. I can't get in there. Jesus said unto him, everybody shout, Jesus said. Jesus said. Shout it out loud. Jesus said, Jesus said unto the man. Woo. And there's that word L-E-G-O again. It's like Jesus just cuts the guy off. The guy's just rolling with all of the reasons why, why this is the way the doctor told me this. And, and they say there's no cure for it. And they say I'm in a bad situation. And, and, and everybody in my family got this. When they get about 30 years old, everybody gets this in my family. It's heredity. And God only knows everything this guy's telling him. And finally, Jesus just legos. He, he's like, stop. <laughs> suddenly, Jesus said to him, come on, somebody shout suddenly. Shout it out loud. 
Have you ever been talking to God, telling your problem to God, and suddenly God says, quit telling me your problem. Start telling your problem about me. Suddenly, 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 Jesus said unto him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Glory to God. Rise. He just cuts the guy off. Maybe he didn't give the guy time to think. I think that may be one of the reasons right there. Jesus starts giving him instructions, and you'll see he does that all through the Gospels. When When he's ministering to someone and they're receiving a miracle, Rarely do you see Jesus just do it and walk off. One time he, uh, he, he raised up Caiaphas' uh, daughter. And the daughter was dying, the high priest. A daughter was dying. And she died. And Jesus, on the way to heal and raise that girl up, the woman with the issue of blood touched him. Jesus talks to her, keeps on going. He gets to the house and they say, there's no need to trouble the master. The daughter's dead. The daughter's dead. And all the mourners and the professional mourners that were there, because that's what the funeral homes of those days would do. They would hire people to mourn and who could, you know, do the, the, the ceremonial wail and all of that. And they got it all going on. And the Bible said Jesus walked there and he said, look, got some instructions. Shut all that down. Get those people out of here. I don't want anybody in here except these three guys, the mom and daddy. Come in here. He goes in there and he touches the girl and he says Talithia to her. The Bible says, and she opened her eyes. Then he set her up and she came back from the dead. And then he turns to the parents and he says, feed her, give her something to eat. I'm preaching better than you're amen. And you'll almost never see God doing something that he doesn't give you instruction on how to receive it and maintain it. It's all through the scriptures like that. It's not like, hey, I'm going to go to church. We're going to get a kingdom miracle today. It's like mad, like preacher magic. Then we're going to walk out and be the exact same. No, no, no. I promise you, it will never be that way in the kingdom of God. When Jesus touches you, your life changes. But you have to take responsibility for that. The scripture says, in conclusion, listen to it. Immediately the man was made whole, verse 9, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. You got to understand. You got to give me three minutes. Listen to this. It was the Sabbath. Under the law, you could not carry something around. The priests would have you penalized enormously, depending on what you were doing. There in a room, basically on the backside, on a porch on the backside of the temple, all these sick people are laying there. It is against the law. For him to pick up that bed and to walk out of there. This boy doesn't do it and climb through a window. He picks his up and walks through the church. He walks back through and it's the Sabbath day. And the Bible says the priest, you keep reading that, the the priest and those that were against him said, what are you doing? It's unlawful for you to carry that around on this day. He said, all I know is the one who healed me, told me to pick it up and walk with it. I've been laying here 38 years waiting for you to do something or to bring something and it hadn't happened. This man walked in and I'm doing
what he said because I'm walking again for the first time in 38 years. I'm going to do it his way. And he begins to walk with that, the Bible says. And they got real mad. They got mad. Why is it? Nobody cares when you were, when, when you were uh, buying your way to hell at a bar every night, spending all your money, buying a rat. Come on, come on, set it up, Jerome. Set it up for everybody one more time. The kids are at home. But then you get saved and delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you just want to tithe and offer. They're like, you mean you give your money to that church? God, help us in the day we live in. God, help us. You mean you go to church on Sunday twice? Watch out, you'll become a fanatic. Why weren't you a fanatic when you were snorting some crack? Why weren't you a fanatic when you were shooting up? Why weren't you a fanatic when you were in adultery? Why weren't you a fanatic when you were in jail? Why weren't you a fanatic when you were on the way to alcoholism? Why is it you're a fanatic if you say, I'm going to live for the one who gave me life forevermore? For me and my house, it's not lip service. We're going to serve the Lord to the best of our understanding. Come on, stand on your feet with me. No one leave for a moment. Get this in your spirit today. Get this in your spirit. Verse, verse 12, they ask him, what man is it that said unto you, take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away because there was such a multitude in that place. Can you imagine what took place that day when Jesus stepping over people are laying on top of each other, leaned up against each other, hoping that water's going to stir? Jesus suddenly looks at a 38-year casualty and says, will you be made whole today? And the guy just lights out, telling him everything. And just said, wait, 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 pick up your bed and walk. And instead of giving all the reasons why he couldn't, he picked it up. He probably rolled off of that thing, rolled it up, got up on an elbow, and all of a sudden his leg got up there. And his knee bent, little old emaciated muscles, atrophied. He probably got up doing this like, oh my God. Oh God. Maybe he maybe used that bed to steady himself. And then he's like, oh my God. And people are looking around going, what's up? He said, Jesus didn't tell me to stand up. He said to rise up and walk. All right, here I go. And he just keeps walking. And he just keeps. You ever know anybody that says, well, we started by just scratching out a living years ago. You ever heard that statement? How'd you get where you are today? Well, we, we, we were just scratching me and mama. We just scratching out a living. Well, how'd you get to where you are today? We just kept scratching. We just kept scratching. He takes that first step. And then all of a sudden he starts walking. 
He's carrying that thing. Maybe he's got it under his arm. And he's just walking through the temple. And he's going through there and the religious folks are saying, you can't carry it up through here. This is, they know that gate's been here every day for 38 years. You can't do this. That's not what we believe. We don't believe in speaking with those other tongues. We don't believe in that laying on of hands for the sick people. Go tell that to the well person that got healed. Go tell the one that doesn't have cancer there. See how much they care. The scripture says he's walking through there. Then Jesus went looking for him. Watch this now. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple. And he says unto him, Behold, you are made whole. Watch this. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. That has a huge implication to me. That it's possible that he can open the door. It doesn't mean that he sinned to get that way, necessarily. It means that he can get into sin and something worse actually get upon him. He can open the door. I don't know what could be much worse than that 38 years of frailty that he was going through. All I know is what Jesus said. He never touches your life without giving you instruction. How do we receive from God? Do we just kind of get the, the kingdom buzz and get the chills? And we're like, okay, I did my duty. Man, the, the, the Texas is going to kick off here in a minute. I wish pastors shut up. <laughs> or were we touched by God? And now we receive his instruction and the zeal of God. Can you imagine what was in that man? He must have been so anointed and inspired that it didn't make any difference who said what to him. All I know is Jesus said, do it this way. And that's the way I'm going to do it. Because I once was lost. But now I'm found. Once I was blind. Now I see. Once I was crippled. Now I'm walking. I'm not going to let it change me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to rejoice that they're writing new songs of praise in the generation God let me live in instead of me just having to sing the ones from the 1800s. Two-thirds of the churches in America sing songs that were written on Sunday in the 1800s. What happened in the 1900s? What happened today? I love those old precious songs. Thank God we have a right to have a move of God today in our lives and to rejoice in it. God knew you were going to be living in the 20th century. He knew that you were about to jump into the 21st century the day you were born. God didn't make a mistake. He wants you to power yourself up in the day you're living in and not always just try to have yesterday's manna. He said, what is that thing that's holding you back? What's holding you down? What's that problem that's been holding you back all of these years? Listen to the Lord. Rise. Don't let it take you anymore. What used to be, what used to be a cot 
or a bed of affliction now has become a pulpit and a testimony for this man. This is Walter Hallam, and I want to thank you for listening today and just receiving that good Word of God that you've gotten off of this podcast. You know, bringing a podcast to you, it's free to you, but it costs to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. You can be a partner. You can help support. Uh, Men and women I found are so generous when the Word of God is coming into their life. They want to help take that gospel to someone else. You can text to give today to 832-981-1601. And you can give any support, any amount, and it will be a great blessing. And it will help take the gospel of Jesus uh, to someone else. We'll go the next day and the next day. So text to give today, 832-981-1601. And I want to thank you in advance because without you and with others who support, it would be so difficult for us to get the good news of Jesus Christ into this great generation. Do your part today. Thanks for helping. I love you. I can't wait to see you on the next podcast.